Now, Dick started, um, sorry, Doug started out last week saying, I'm not the regular speaker, so please come back. Well, I'm starting out saying, I'm really, really not the regular speaker, so please, please come back. But um, I got a final message yesterday morning where Dick said he wasn't going to be able to make it. And you get that funny feeling in your stomach, which is, oh, my goodness. And he said, be creative. <laughs> okay, so this is creative. Uh, the passage that was read today, I'm not going to do a lot with because to be perfectly frank, I find it extremely confusing. And uh, which, as you listen to it, I think you may also have found it somewhat confusing. So I figured I would just sort of run my train of thought along here as to what it is, what came to me. I've, whenever I do a service, I usually spend the two weeks before the service praying it through, just trying to get the right elements together, never knowing exactly what the speaker is going to speak about. But at least it gets me into the scripture and ready for that. So it was, this is sort of what my last two weeks thinking had been about this passage and about the service as we were going. So in the Old Testament, we find that God had appointed that all the priests and the high priests of Israel were to be from the tribe of Levi. Before the priests could perform their duties, they had to go out and go through all kinds of ritual cleanings and purifications in order to prepare themselves to go before God, since they were also human. Once each year, the high priest was able to enter the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices and prayers for forgiveness for the whole nation. Now, in several places in Hebrew, as we've been, Hebrews, as we've been going through it, the author refers to the fact that Jesus is the true high priest. As Hebrews 5, in Hebrews 5.1, we find that the Old Testament high priest helped others offer gifts and sacrifices for their own sins. He also offered sacrifices for the sins of the nation, for his sins, since he was indeed human. But as Hebrews goes on, Jesus is the perfect high priest. He didn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins. He didn't have any. And for our sins, he offered himself by his death on the cross, followed by his resurrection. Now, as our high priest in heaven, Jesus mediates between us and God. He is humanity's representative and assures us of God's forgiveness. Unlike the Jewish high priests who could go before God only one time a year as they went into the Holy of Holies, Jesus is always available at God's right hand, interceding for us. He is always available to hear us when we pray. Prayer is our approach to God, and we're to come boldly with confidence through Jesus, not meekly with our heads bowed and afraid to ask him to meet our needs. We're to come with reverence because he's our king, but he also, we are to come boldly because we have the assurance that he is also our friend and our counselor. Jesus paid for us once and for all, and he wants to draw us closer to himself. After his offering, we can come bravely before God's throne. We can run to him for safety. We can take hold of the hope that he offers. That hope draws us ever closer to him. Jesus is our high priest once and for all. Robert Webber wrote in The Divine Embrace, we hear the voice of God who says, I did for you what you simply could not do for yourself. I became one of you. I took your rebellion into myself. I died to overcome the power of sin that has led to this awful separation between us. And I rose victorious over death, breaking the power of all that 
had death in the world and the grip in which it holds you. I overcame death and began a new creation. I opened the way for you to live in my embrace, the embrace of you and the world. Though my, through my son Jesus and by my spirit, I've embraced you so that now united with me, you may embrace me as a child learns to embrace a mother because the mother first embraced the child. Now go and live the spiritual life. Embrace me and my purpose in creating you, putting you in this world to be priests of my creation. Make your life and this world a theater of my glory. I thought it was sort of cool to think about this world being the theater of God's glory through us as we trust in him. The reason I asked Mindy to do Amazing Grace in the second verse in particular was that at least it seems to me, and I assume that your life is this way also, that life is not always easy. Life is not always good in the sense when we first think about it. Sometimes life is very hard. And when life is hard, sometimes we lose sight of the hope and we miss Jesus' attempt to embrace us and, and to draw us closer to him. The author of Hebrews pleads with us not to turn away. As Doug showed us last week in Hebrews 6, sometimes the Jews were tempted to go back to worship in the temple and to start return to worshiping God there. But the author of Hebrews pleads with us not to do that, to stay firm with God and to stay firm with our trust. We have a high priest who is always available to us and is constantly seeking to draw us closer to himself. He's filled us with a hope that can bring us closer to God. But then hard times come. The question that's sort of been running through my heart over the past several weeks as we've been going through Hebrews is how do we most appropriately respond in the hard times in a way that will help us not to lose that hope and not to look for other alternatives? First, very obviously, we delve into scripture, even when we think it won't help. And do you ever have days like that? Sometimes I do. There are days when you say, okay, God, you said to come to you. I'm reading scripture. I need help. And I'm really sort of sure it's not going to happen. But he shows up. He's there. And we pray. We find God's promises, and we seek to rest on them. We find that verse that meets us just where our need is the verse that we can hold on to in the moment. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but as I'm reading through scripture, I read, I'm reading sequentially through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and I find that very often, if something is really an issue for me on a given day, the verse that I happen, just happen to come to on that day in the chronological reading and sequential reading is exactly the answer to what I need. And I sit there and I think about how God planned that. How did he know when I started reading how many months ago as I'm going through scripture that on this day, I would need this verse at this time. But that happens so, so frequently. You might even find a verse like the one I found on a day when things looked really bleak, which was Isaiah 46, three to four, where God said, since the day you were born, I have carried you along. I will still be the same when you are old and gray and I will take care of you. I created you. I will carry you and always keep you safe. What an amazing promise that was, particularly as we get older in prayer. In the Old Testament, God instructed his people to set up memorials to commemorate him also, so that people would remember the mighty acts of salvation that he had performed for his people. Jacob was told in Genesis 35, 14, to set up a large rock so that he remember where God had spoken to him. 
In Genesis 28, 18, Jacob was told to take a rock and he stood it up as a place of worship to commemorate where God had appeared to him in a dream. In Joshua 4, 5, Joshua told the men to pick up a large rock for each of the tribes of Israel and to set them up. Someday your children will ask, why are these rocks here? Then you can tell them how the water stopped flowing when the chest was being carried across the river. The rocks will always remind our people of what happened here today. In 1 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, Samuel set up a, mon a monument between Mizpah and the rocky cliffs, and he named it the Help Monument to remind Israel of how much the Lord had helped them. And we don't generally set up monuments today, at least not in that way, to remind us of what God has done. But there are other ways we can set up a different kind of monument. And this with apologies to my transformation group, since I keep going to them after this too, is a lot of times the monuments we set up are the stories that we have of how God has shown up, when he has shown up, what he has done for us in our lives. Sometimes these stories are obvious as things are happening. Sometimes they don't become obvious until after time has passed and we look back on them and we're looking at what God has done for us during that time. Two weeks after we were married, David and I went to uh, 10th Press Church and J.I. Packer was speaking that day. His key biblical truth, although he really didn't call it that, was God reserves the right to give you his very best. That particular phrase and that statement carried through our lives all the way through because time after time when things happened that just seemed really catastrophic and seemed like we just weren't gonna be able to quite make it through those things, we would sit and think about that, pray about that, and ask God where his best was in the midst of all this. And inevitably we came out on the other side in a better place with better and richer blessings than we could ever have imagined. Sometimes it's hard to see God's hand at work. Sometimes it means working really hard to remember that we do have a high priest interceding for us and drawing us closer to himself. One of the advantages of getting older is that we have more and more stories and more and more examples of times that God has shown up and has been there and worked in our lives. It becomes easier to trust as there are more examples of what's been going on because it's easier to say if God has been there all this time and appeared this many times, he'll appear again and to have that faith. But these stories, as we've gathered them over the years, have become memorials and ways of remembering what God has done and of sharing them with others, sometimes too many times when our kids say, mom, we've heard that story just way too many times. Just I point out to them, God was good and continues to be good and the stories are valuable monuments and they act as these stone monuments for us. The stories of others are encouraging to us too, but our own stories are even more encouraging as we feel what God has done in our lives and they're more powerful in helping us through the hard times, the times when it seems that God hasn't shown up when we think about times that we're losing sight of the hope and we really need him. Not that we can hold on to him, but that he will just hold on to us so tightly because we have nothing left to hold on with. Last year and a half have been very difficult for me and I realize they've been hard for everybody because it's been a hard time in general. But as for you, as you know, for me, it's been sort of a particular way. I found the questions of faith and hope have come up recent uh, regularly throughout this time and that my God stories have brought great comfort and hope and assurance during this time.
So I'd like to share a couple with you, which is what I was originally going to do with the God stories in hopes that they may be encouraging to you as well. A lot of you have probably heard these stories because like my kids, I've sort of poured them out on you a number of times. So if you've heard them, just you can either not listen or uh, just hopefully be encouraged by some of them again. As I was leaving the hospital room after David had died, it was like an hour and a half after he had died, all kinds of people came up to me and said, oh, you know, in order to handle this grief, you ought to try yoga, try this, try that. And I'm thinking, first off, you know, it's way, way too early to be telling me to try anything an hour and a half after my husband died. That's not what I want to hear. But I got in the car, and as I was heading back on that really, really long and lonely trip back from the hospital, I started thinking about it and thinking about the fact that where else would I go? What else would I do? God has been there from my earliest times, the earliest days I can remember, and he has never yet failed me. Why should I change now and look for something else now? But as people have raised questions over the months, um, I found that I have to go back sometimes and rethink about why it is that God is so very special and precious to me now. And I think about my stories and I've started sort of classifying them and you know, various periods of time and different kinds of stories. So what I wanted to tell you today was two stories that I consider my truck stories. And some of you are going, I know I've heard these and that's fine, but that's okay. There are some visitors here and they haven't heard the story. So that, that makes it all right. Okay, my two truck stories. My first truck story happened shortly after I graduated from law school, before I was making any money at all. And David was still teaching at King's. And those of you who are familiar with what King's was like in terms of salary, you know that on one King's salary, you don't even reach the basic poverty level. So it was a very difficult time. And I went to fix lunch for the kids and realized I didn't have anything to give them for lunch. I had some peanut butter and some jelly and I had a little bit of tuna fish. And I said, David, if we could get some bread, I could give them sandwiches. So we started hunting to try and come up with enough money to go get a loaf of bread. We tried the kids' piggy banks, but we'd already emptied them out a long time before and put IOUs in kind of thing and couldn't find it. So I said to David, I'm going to go out to the car because maybe something slid under the mat or maybe, you know, dropped between the seats or something. Let me see if I can go find some find a quarter or something somewhere. So I stepped out and I started walking into the driveway. And as I stepped into the driveway, a truck from a local bakery went by and the back door of the truck fell open and a big bag fell at my feet. And I tried to signal the driver, but he was already on his way. So I took the bag and I went inside and I called the bakery and I explained what had happened. And the woman said, oh, she said, I'm so sorry. She said, for insurance purposes, there's no way we could take something that had fallen out of the truck. Could I ask you to dispose of it for me? So I opened the bag and in the bag, there were 15 loaves of bread. There was rye bread, there was pumpernickel, there was raisin bread, there was any kind of bread you can imagine. And I laid it out on the table and we, the kids had a smorgasbord of breads to choose from as we were praising God and just saying, wow. And saying to my kids, look, God is here. He answered, could that be a coincidence? Yeah, I suppose it could. But you know what? God was there. So that was my first truck story. My second truck story is a story when we were down in Mexico City with the CBC short-term mission group. 
and I've been racking my brain. I'm talking to people who were there, trying to figure out which kids it was who were with us, and I don't really remember. I know it was a couple of Hastings kids, a couple of Calvis kids. I think Mickey and Chin's kids might have been with us, but I'm not positive. And so um, as we were down there, each day they had a special project for us to do, and we go out and we'd work very hard all day to do whatever the project was. On the next last day, they said to us, we're going to give you the morning free. So pick something you'd like to do. And as we were looking around, I looked at the church and saw that the lot next to the church was knee deep in trash. It was just a vacant lot, knee deep. And so I said to Ann, who was leading, why don't we, as a gift to the church, since they've hosted us down here this time, why don't we clean up this lot and get all the trash out of the place so it'll at least look better? So the kids enthusiastically jumped into this and they're grabbing all the trash and piling it. And as it's starting to pile up by the side of the road, I began to think about the fact that, you know, if this stays here, give it a week and it's going to all be back all over again. So we have to find a way to get this trash taken away. And by the time all along the front of the lot was up about knee high and kids were finding carcasses of dead dogs and all kinds of other exciting things in these in this trash. I said, don't worry. You know, this is me. Don't worry. I'm going to go up and talk to the pastor of the church and I'm going to call the city and see about getting a truck to come. So I went to the pastor and I said to him, I told him about this and he looked at me and he started to laugh. He said, you don't realize you're in Mexico City. He said, there are no trucks to come. He said, call. I said, let me just call and check. So I called the environmental or whatever they called the place that picked up trash and talked to the man. He said, well, we could put you on the list. And I said, how long do you think the list would take? And he said, probably somewhere between six and eight months. And I said, but everything will be completely back again. We don't want to, I mean, we need something now. He said, I'm sorry, ma'am, uh, this is Mexico City. So I thought, okay, I am not defeated. I will go out and see if I can get a private carter. So I ran out to David and I said, is there any way we can afford to pay for a private carter to come take this trash? And he, he said, yeah, we'd work it. So I went back and I said to the pastor, can I have your phone book? So I want to start calling some of the private um, carting companies. And the pastor laughed. He said, it's not going to happen. And I said, no, no, I have great faith. This is going to happen. It's not, not an issue. So I started calling. There were like eight in the phone book. So I called one after another, after another, after another. And I got the same response from each of them. This is Mexico City. We don't do this. So I, I said, well, if I go on your list, what's the fastest time I could get there? The shortest time I could find was three to six weeks. And I knew that by three to six weeks, again, it was going to be an issue. So as I was thinking about stuff, you know, God led us to do this. We're doing this as a gracious act on behalf of this church. I really believe that God would want this to be something that would work. So I went down, I said to Ann, we need to pray because there don't seem to be any trucks around. So we need to have a truck show up. This has got to be in God's hands. So in great, great faith, I gathered the kids together and we prayed and in great faith. And I'm seriously, and these kids prayed their hearts out to God that he would send a truck to pick up this trash so that we could then bless this church by what we had done. So they went back to gathering stuff and by now the pile was getting higher. It was almost hip high by then, which David loved because I don't know if you remember when he went to the church work days, he used to love to jump on the, um, in the truck to 
has all the trash down, so he's having a great time diving on the um, on the trash. And so the kids are still picking this up, and I'm sitting there going, "What have I done? I've gotten these kids to go out and pray in true faith, believing that God's going to send a truck. And what if He doesn't? What is this going to do to the faith of these kids who are here? What have I done?" And so I thought my next typical, most typical thing is I will help God. Okay, that's when something doesn't, if, if I really believe God ought to do something and he's not quite doing it the way I think my next was, I will help him. Okay, so I figured I'd work out by the edge of the road. This was a four lane highway, a very active road. So I thought surely some kind of trash truck will come by. I will flag it down and we will get this trash picked up. So the kids are still coiling more and more trash. And by then it was almost shoulder high along the front of this um, front of this lot. So I'm looking, there are no trash trucks, as in none, not a single trash truck anywhere. So it came to be lunchtime, the kids went inside. And after a while, I, I stayed out because I'm figuring this truck's got to come by. <laughs> no truck. So one of the kids came out and said, you know, dinner's not until 7.30 tonight, and it's a long time, and you really ought to come in. They're putting the food away from lunch, so you better come in. So I, I started in. As I got to the door of the church and put my hand on the knob to go in, I heard screeching of brakes. And I looked up, and there was a huge trash truck that had pulled in front of this lot, and five guys jumped off the truck and started loading everything into the truck. I ran up and I said, look, I've got a whole batch of teenagers. I can send them up. They'll be happy to help. He said, no, no. He said, we've got this. I looked at the truck. The truck was bright orange. There was not a single bit of wording on it, no lettering, no nothing on the side of the truck. I don't know if it was a city truck. I don't know if it was a private carter. I don't know if it was a truck that never had existed before in Mexico City, but that was there now that God had sent. All I know is a truck showed up and every single bit of the trash was loaded into this truck as the kids stood there with their mouths hanging open. We were singing praises to God that indeed he had sent the truck to honor the work that they had done. Uh, two years later, Paul Hastings went down to Dillon and they checked, went back to this place where the lot had been and found that it had had grass planted in it. They had put some little benches in it and that it was now a lovely little park next to the church. That God had indeed worked with, the, with what our kids had done. But is it a coincidence that that truck came? I don't think so. I thought the funniest part to me was the fact that God had to wait until I got out of the way to be able to send the truck. It was like if she would only go inside and let me do what I need to do, it would, would have been fine. But it took a while for me to get that message and go in. And then indeed, God worked. He was there. He sent the truck. So those stories and, you know, and others like them are stories that make me stop and think as monuments to what God has done, what he continues to do, what I see him doing day by day in my life and in the lives of others. And as I, as I was thinking about this, I want to encourage each of you to start thinking about your God stories, because I know a lot of times, until I made a conscious effort to start thinking them through, different stories would click into my mind occasionally, but they were not stories that they, they were not there in a, a more organized way. And so I'd encourage you to collect your own stories, your own God stories, write them down, share them with people, let your kids know how God has shown up, what he has done, where he has been, 
how he has been your high priest to God for you, how Jesus has done what needed to be done for you in a way that you could never expect. Have you ever been surprised by God? I have lots of times where I think something should happen a given way, and it doesn't happen that way. It happens in a way that's totally different, but a way that turns out to be totally better than what I had thought about. And so I find myself on many mornings just saying, God, surprise me, because I need that surprise today. So I would like to encourage you to think about your own stories and get them in place that you can share, that you can tell. Tell them on Sundays here at the God Story Time. Let us hear your stories so that we can be encouraged by what God has done for you and through you. If you can't find any God stories, pray for God showing you what your stories are. A lot of times I think we don't really recognize what our stories are. We don't think about them. We're not sensitive to them. But how did he originally draw you to him? How has that blessed you? How has he blessed you regularly? How has he continued to draw you and encourage you through difficult times? How does he encourage you to stop and listen? How do you recognize him? Where do you see him? These are the stories that he is living out through you and that are your stories that you can gather. If you haven't met him and don't know him as your Lord and Savior and as your high priest, this is time to think about that. Because Jesus, the great high priest, is earnestly calling each one of us to have a relationship with him. He reaches out to each of us. He is the God who loves us, who cares for us, and is always there when he is sought. He says, I will be found if you search for me with all your heart. So I would encourage you to think about that and developing a relationship with him if you don't have one yourself. But to all of us, I would say that Jesus willingly reaches out to help us draw near to him day by day, hour by hour, everything we go through, Jesus is there reaching out as our great high priest to advocate for us, to speak for us, to draw us closer and closer to him. And he continues to unfailingly draw us near to him. Those are my thoughts for the morning. I have no idea what Dick would have said, but it's a whole other thing. So we're going to end with a song.